Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you will find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, I chat to productivity coach Kira Conlon to hear about how, when she forgot her child's doctor appointment, it became her rock bottom, leading her to embrace a new life of organised chaos, which she now helps others to navigate. Keith Walsh, with a different attitude to dry January, and I took a trip to London for a special gut health launch and met with Professor Tim. Inspector to hear how he's bringing his microbiome knowledge to the mainstream supermarket trolley. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm happily well rested after a brilliant Christmas break. Felt very lucky to be in Chamonix in a chalet with snow-capped mountains and trees all around me and to be truly away from it all. We were there, as I mentioned before I left, as my brother moved there eight months ago and has opened a deli and a restaurant. So we took my mum, we went to see and celebrate that. So eating there on Christmas Eve after taking my mum to Christmas Eve Mass in a French church, which I actually loved, was very, very special. And we had lots of very special memories along the way. We sledded with the kids. We watched movies by the fire. It was a very different Christmas, but one which topped me right up. So I'm still sort of running on that. And I'm really enjoying, of course, the week of slow start mornings without the school run and Just feeling very grateful, as I say, to have had these couple of weeks. I eased myself back into the gym this week and a little bit of work. My press trip to London, you'll hear about a bit later. But yeah, feeling good, rested and grateful. Let's see how I am next Sunday as it all kicks off in earnest this week. But thank you to all of you who have contacted me on social media and by email to thank me for the positive take on the new year and this no pressure on New Year's resolutions. I really hope that you're going to continue that into 2024. No fad dieting, no beating yourself up. Let's ease ourselves in gently and keep awareness of what is really, really important. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, my next guest, Kira Conlon, went, in her own words, from complete chaos, overwhelm and depression to publishing three books and becoming an internationally recognised coach and speaker. She's just launched a new productivity and habit planner and she joins me on the line now. Kira, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Claire. Can you take us back to the chaos time of your life that I, I mentioned there? I'd rather not go back there, no? <laughs> no, of course, of course. In words only. Yeah, yeah. Um, so three young boys, three boisterous boys, house a complete mess. I was always trying to start some type of business. When I was pregnant with my first son, I left my job and then I was constantly looking for something new. I was um, a tech nerd. So I did a bit of web design. I was a computer trainer. No, I was trying to find the next thing for me. But everything was just chaos. I was quite unhappy. I suppose very unfulfilled. I didn't really know what was wrong with me. But I just couldn't seem to follow through with anything. I had all of these ideas. I came from, I suppose, an entrepreneurial family. So that was always an option for me to start something myself. But I just couldn't seem to make it happen. And you say yourself, my head was overloaded and my thinking was erratic, jumping from idea to idea, never focusing long enough to make anything work. The words kept coming to me, if only I could get organised. 
And I'm sure there's going to be people that can identify with that. I can identify with that because life is so busy and we are pulled in so many different directions. It can be really hard to find time to get organised. What was your turning point? Well, for me, it was a couple of things, but I suppose that the lowest point was missing a doctor's appointment for one of my kids. And, you know, there's these uh, moments in our lives that we can remember. And that was a moment of disappointment, of really, I suppose, understanding something has to change here. You can't keep going on like this. And as you mentioned there, if only I could get organized, if only I could get organized, because I knew the chaos was one of the things that was preventing me from creating a happy life, I suppose, is what we all want. Um, a bit more peace and calm within the day to day. So it was that moment that sparked something in me to do something about this. And there was a couple of things that happened around that time for me. I found coaching. I found a course in coaching. So I started to study to become a coach. I met somebody who introduced me to the concept of productivity. Now, I have a um, degree in economics, so productivity for me before then was, you know, a term which was about getting more work out of the workforce. But then, you know, I started to understand, okay, personal productivity. What's personal productivity? Personal productivity is being able to set goals and achieve them, really, finding a way to achieve all of these things we want in our life. So that was how things started to change for me. But it was also a a matter of decluttering, of getting rid of all the stuff that was holding me back physically as well as mentally. So clearing my head and starting to make sense out of all of the things that were in my head and starting to put a bit of a plan in place for how I would achieve all of these things. And I know it, it, it's not a, a short answer, but what are some of the ways that you did that? Because, you know, you still had the three boisterous boys. You still had the mortgage that needed to be paid. You know, there's still all these pressures. So how did you find a way out of the chaos? So it, it was two things. I start because I had, I suppose, the background in computers. One of the ways I started was trying to find systems and software and things like that, that manage our tasks. On the other side, it was a very basic going to the charity shops, clearing out that, you know, even the kids' toys, but gradually doing these activities, which created that space that I needed. So that was how I started to, little by little, get myself organized. But I suppose the real change for me was when I started to write down my goals and say, this is what I want, and then actually plan time to achieve them. So I always say my number one productivity tip from when I started this, you know, 15, 17 years ago to now where I've coached, you know, hundreds, thousands of people probably at this stage in organizations and government departments. And my number one tip is still to use your calendar to plan your tasks. So to make space in your day, in your week for doing the things that you need to do. And do people usually know what their goals are or can they be vague? Do they need to be more specific with them to actually be able to achieve them? 
Yeah, no, a lot of people, I won't say most people, but a lot of people that I start to work with don't know because of the clutter, because there's so many things we could do. And I think that was one of my problems years ago. It was I had all of these big ideas for businesses and I jumped from one to the other. And even if it's not a case of having ideas for businesses, you know, most normal people just want to get on in life and, and as I said, just be happy. But it's the clutter that kind of prevents us from doing that. A bit of overwhelm, a bit of disorganization. So there's a twofold approach. You know, so some people would straight away tell you, I know exactly what I want to achieve. So I can write down my goals then and, and start to work towards it. Other people will say, I don't know what I want. So sometimes an approach for, for these people is kind of, yeah, is there is there clutter? Is there overwhelm? So it's starting from the other side, trying to create a bit of space in your life. And if you don't know exactly what you want in goals, it could be, I want to be happier. Or, you know, I want to be calmer or I want to create more space for myself. So they can be achievable, very small and achievable goals to start with. And those small processes then can filter, can create something bigger in your life. And I mean... Why do our daily habits become so important to our overall life? Well, overall, if you think about it, you know, human beings are creatures of habit. So our lives are run by our our daily habits, really. If you think of your day, um, most days, you get up more or less the same time, you have a coffee, you go to the bathroom, you have your breakfast, you have a shower, Now, you may not do it all in that exact sequence, but you have a sequence of how you behave each day. And like there's there's research that shows that we actually live in our our habitual mind 95% of the day. So all of these habits make up who we are. Now, a lot of them are positive. You know, they get us up in, in the morning and they get us out to work. But a lot of them are negative and they're just habitual because we don't think about it. So really, a lot of the work that I do or I I aim to do with people is kind of waking up to those habitual thoughts, habitual beliefs, habitual habits that aren't serving you. And it's about consciously choosing the life that you want in the future. Most of the goals we go towards, Claire, are achieved through habit. So if you think of me writing a book, you know, I set the goal to write a book. I believe I can do it. And then I create a habit of writing. Otherwise, it won't get done. The same with sporting goals or anything like this in our life that we want to achieve. There's some kind of daily habit that's going to help us to to do that. So that's why habits are so much part of uh, human behavior. And it's important that, that we know what they are. Because we often say, we definitely say it here in Ireland, and I'm sure it's a it's a global phenomenon. Where does the time go? And I think we all know where the time goes. If you need to schedule it, and I suppose that's what you're getting at with this productivity journal. And I love what you have written about it. You say you're amazing just as you are, but imagine what you could be with a little bit more organisation and a lot more focus. And I think this is a really good message because... It's not about beating ourselves up and having this stick at our back to do more, do more, do better, do better. It's just about clearing that clutter, you say. 
Exactly, exactly. So what I was seeing, I wanted to give my clients a place to kind of capture their goals, but then to plan how to how do I actually get there? And also to create that space somewhere to create and maintain and track your good habits. So with the, the Life Flow Planner, it's about, you know, I suppose it's about resetting your thinking. So it's about making that decision, thinking more positively, because to achieve any goal, we have to believe it. We have to believe that we can. You know, there are a lot of better writers than me out there listening to this, but they possibly don't believe that they can write and publish a book. So belief is a big part of it as well. So we need to reset the thinking that we can do it. We need to focus on our goals and priorities to achieve them. And then life flows better when we have good habits. It's a bit like a, overall, the planner is like a self-fulfilling prophecy when you, you know, start to plan it out. It gives you the confidence and the structure to make it happen, really. And how long does it take? Is there a moment where you think, God, I'm living differently? Or is it with hindsight? Is, can you feel the change happening? Change can happen very quickly because a lot of change is mindset and we can change our mindset instantly um, if, you know, if we choose to. So, but in terms of, let's say, if you're talking about disorganization or, you know, clearing out your life to make that space, very quickly, again, even a, a day's decluttering can make you feel a hell of a lot better and um, give you hope and confidence, you know, so every small goal that we achieve gives you more confidence to say, I can do this. And that's the way I would always work and encourage people. It's like, start with something so small. When you're creating a new habit, start with five minutes a day, even one minute a day of something like meditation or conscious breathing, we know makes a difference in your life. So start small and give yourself that confidence, that achievement that you'll keep going. And you believe this not only because you work in it and have trained in it, but because you've lived it. So Kira, who forgot that doctor's appointment that day, would she believe what you have achieved over the last 15 years since deciding (laughs) life has to be different? I don't think my family have still believed it, that the chaotic mess that I was <laughs> makes a living from helping people to being organised. No, <laughs> nobody believes it there. <laughs> but it's true. And for more about Kira, you can go to her website, kiraconlon.com, where you'll find everything from her books, her courses, and of course, this new journal. Kira Conlon, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Claire. Alive and kicking. On News Talk. Now, Professor Tim Spector has been a guest on the show before, talking about his work as an epidemiologist, researching the health of people and his work with twins, finding that the microbiome or our gut health was the reason identical twins and DNA can still have different health outcomes. He's made it his life's work to impart this information onto people, the importance of our gut health, through his books, his company, The Zoe Project, and now with a collaboration with MS. I went to London to the launch of the Gut Shot to find out more. So, Tim, you described this on your Instagram as a, a career high. I suppose it's a real milestone in your mission to try and make this sort of information go from the research to the mainstream. Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, I've 
been a doctor over 40 years and yeah it's a dream to actually hopefully transform the health of millions of people with some of the science and knowledge that I've got rather than just a few handful of patients in a clinic so you know for me this is a, a super exciting moment in my career. And tell us a bit about the poo review you spoke about there some of the research you gathered on people and their digestive health their gut health. Yes we did a, a survey uh, with um, Channel 4 in the UK uh, earlier last year and looked at about 120,000 people's bowel habits all across the country and were quite distressed to see how bad uh, the situation was, how many people were suffering from constipation or diarrhea or bloating or reflux. Most people were not going to their doctors, they were just putting it up with it, assuming it was normal and, you know, the in about one in eight people were sort of only going to the toilet about once a week and had sort of given up really trying to do anything about it. So we realised the state of the, the guts or, you know, around the UK and probably also in Ireland is in a pretty terrible state. And um, I think we've just assumed there's nothing you can do about it and we haven't made the link between gut health and food well enough and what's really interesting is uh, trying to tell people how gut health is crucial to their overall health and that these symptoms of bloating and constipation and diarrhea are just a sign that your gut health is poor you don't have the right gut microbes in there and that actually you can totally transform that in a few weeks just by changing what you eat and I think that's a really crucial message. You don't necessarily need to see a doctor. You just need to actually rethink what you're eating and you can make huge changes. And those changes, which we'll notice within a few weeks, will have effects that can last for years. And, you know, I can now tell more from the state of someone's uh, gut microbes about their overall health than you can from something like their DNA. And even taking that control is going to do more than improve people's toilet habits. You say gut health is responsible for so much of our health. Can you inform people a bit more, remind us about that? Yes, our gut is traditionally considered just a bit of a tube. You know, you stick food in, a bit of fibre, you go to the toilet, that's it. Absorbs a few nutrients and vitamins. But it turns out we were completely wrong on that and that there are trillions of live microbes inside all of our guts that are like mini pharmacies. They're producing incredible chemicals that are absolutely vital for our immune systems in fighting infections, of preventing food allergies, of uh, fighting cancer, fighting aging, uh, breaking down our food and also regulating our energy balance so that we don't put on weight all of a sudden and don't you know have these massive fluctuations but they also produce key vitamins that we can't produce ourselves all the B vitamins are produced in our gut and importantly the brain chemicals people don't think about the gut as a source of brain chemicals but they produce uh, something called serotonin which is really important for mood 
and is implicated in depression. People with depression often have poor gut health and can be helped by improving that. And there's another chemical called GABA, which you find in things like Valium, that is a, is a way of reducing stress and anxiety. All of these produced by these incredibly clever creatures that we've evolved with, these microbes. And so we have at our disposal a, a huge reservoir of um, what I call mini pharmacies that if we just feed them the right foods, they'll give us the perfect treatments back. And is it true that if your gut microbiome isn't in balance, you can be eating well, but your body won't be digesting the food in the right way? To really use all the foods properly, you need to have the right balance of gut microbes. So most people uh, in the UK and Ireland have far too many what we call inflammatory microbes, ones that are just living off junk foods, um, high high in poor fats, etc. And these are not going to be properly digesting the foods. They're not going to get all the nutrients out. And they'd also leave space for uh, other invading microbes to come in and get food poisoning, etc. So um, getting not only a rich variety of species in your in your gut is important but getting the right balance of good to bad ones so that really the good ones crowd out the bad ones and and it's very hard for infections to take hold so i think we you know we know now that we've lost about half of our species compared to our ancestors and a lot of that is through poor eating habits uh, junk foods antibiotics you know sterile living etc but now we understand this there is a way of actually getting back to those those good habits that we we've lost over the last 50 years so tell us about this collaboration then with MS and the zoe project and putting good health information into the hands of people through a mainstream supermarket so MS uh, came to us uh, at zoe and said would we help design for them you know, the, the ultimate gut shot that hadn't been done before with the best ingredients and using our science. And we readily agreed because we thought this is a fantastic way to get our science beyond just our relatively small following to millions of people that you know, shop regularly at M&S. And it's combining a, a, a trusted brand with... Uh, a reputation for high quality foods and tasty foods with a really trusted science brand and so that's where we came up with the idea of having a fermented milk with uh, 12 uh, so 14 strains of microbes five billion of them so you know there are plenty of them enough to get through the the stomach into the into the gut also got um, seven fruits, it's the whole fruits, not just some extract of it. Uh, we've got fiber in there as well. And all this is done without any ultra processing ingredients. So, no artificial sweeteners, emulsifiers, glues, gums, the stuff you find in most other products, which make it easy to stick together. So, um, it really was a, a labor of love um, to produce this and come up with a, also a taste profile that M&S came up with that, that 
you know, isn't too sweet, it's not too sour, it um, appeals to vast majority of people who can then have it regularly. So for us, it's a way of introducing people to having something regularly that's going to be important for gut health. They can then start to think about gut health themselves on a daily basis. And uh, that's why, we, along with the product, if you scan it, you get access to videos explaining more about gut health. If you go to the zoe.com website, uh, you look up gut shot, you can get you know, the guide to um, improving your, your gut health by doing other things as well, such as eating a greater variety of plants, 30 plants a week, eating the rainbow, guide to what other fermented foods you can have, um, having more whole foods and less ultra-processed foods, etc. So I think this is a way of us trying to break the mold of how people think about food. It's not about calories. It's not about um, has it got much fats or sugars. It's about the quality of the products. and It's about how do we get good quality food back into our diets and by doing that help our gut microbes to make all our health better in, in ways we really hadn't thought about before. Yeah, it's such an important message, particularly in January, where people are going to be bombarded with drop a dress size, go on this crash diet. And really, we want to be telling people to count nutrients, not calories. And it's a it's something you've been talking about since your book, The Diet Myth. But people are starting to catch on to it a little bit now. And you said something interesting in the talk there. People can make kefir at home, but this is an introduction to how it should taste to people to encourage them maybe to open up those doors a little bit more that's right we we want to open minds and i think this is this is an entry-level product that people will say well you know i've heard of this kefir but i've never really liked it or the one i tasted was a bit sour i said we'll we'll try this one and, and see what it's like and if you like it you know very soon your your body gets used to these extra tastes you know we've been so driven away from natural tasting things that are slightly bitter or sour you know the grapes we eat now are all super sweet whereas when I was a kid they were often sour and interesting now they're sugary sweet and so we need to retrain our, our bodies and our taste buds to, to appreciate these these healthier foods and I think this is all part of this journey and as you said January is a time when we're bombarded with gyms telling us um, come to the gym, lose weight, have a crash diet, you know, go on the 800 calorie diet. And this is all rubbish. You know, we know they fail um, for the vast majority of people. And we mustn't uh, get a, we've got to stop this link between thinking that calories are the way to describe food. We've got to move back to quality. And uh, that's what everything that my books uh, and, and Zoe stand for is really just changing this mindset. Food is so much more than calories, fats and sugars, or even protein, which is the current hype at the moment. You know, nobody's protein deficient really uh, at the moment. We're all fiber deficient, we're all quality food deficient. And I think that's what uh, we need to address.
Yeah, and joy is allowed in too. We're kind of taught that it has to be no pain, no gain. Deprivation is the way to go. What are you going to cut out? But you came on the show before and you were talking about what it means to eat 30 plants a week. And that's herbs, spices. We're talking about adding big flavours, gathering together around food, not worrying about counting calories. So bringing enjoyment of food back and nourishing our souls as well as our digestive systems. Exactly. And yeah, everything in, in, in my books and Zoe is about adding more to your diet, um, getting new interesting things to taste. And that's why, you know, in this MS, this gut shop, we've got, you know, Baobab, which was a favorite of mine when I was visiting uh, Hadza tribe in Africa. That's one of their staple breakfasts. And it's an interesting taste that most people won't have uh, come across. And I just want people to try new new fruits, new vegetables, um, get a broader, you know, move away from the meat and two veg, uh, boring sort of uh, food culture that we've come accustomed to. And I think the more you do that, the more you enjoy food and the more you seek out new flavors. And what's there's this huge link between the more you do that, the healthier your gut gets, the healthier your immune system, the better your mood. The whole thing fits together beautifully. But it's it's not something you can do in a two, in a, a crash course two weeks. It's not just you know losing a few pounds for for January. It, this is a way of life that should last the rest of your life, and that's really what it's what it's all about. So I want people to you know use this as a a starting point, really to say okay. I get this, uh, you know, I'm trying this drink, I know it's helping my gut microbes, but I'm going to start thinking about food in a completely different way now for the rest of my life. Brilliant. Tim Spector, thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, my book does come out today, um, Food for Life in paperback. Easier and to hold. It's uh, much easier to hold. And uh, it's, it's got all the facts you need to know about how to make the best food choices right across the board. So I think that's a a useful tool for people. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much. For more information on how to look after your gut health, you can go to zoe.com forward slash gutshot. A very quick turnaround to London, but a jam-packed day and a very nice press invite to receive. Alive and kicking. On News Talk. Now, as the year begins anew, Connor Creighton, a meditation teacher, and Keith Walsh, writer and broadcaster, are teaming up to introduce a fresh approach to personal growth and sobriety with their Sober Start programme. Keith joins me in studio now. Keith, you're very welcome. Claire, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Have I been on this show before? Oh, look, it's like when I meet people now, I'm like, do I know you? Do I follow you on Instagram? <laughs> Have I interviewed you? It's very hard to know. I've reached peak person, I've decided. Now, not you. I know you. We've yeah, worked yeah, together. Yeah. We know each other. Yeah. I consider you a pal. Mm. I don't know if you've been on the show before. I think maybe about your creativity course. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah. And it might have been on the phone. Maybe it was during lockdown or something. I think this so. is your first time in studio. Yes. You're welcome. You Great. are very Great welcome. Great to be here. What a setup. Before I get into your sober start, how do you feel about the turn of a new year? I really like it. Yeah, I love it. I used to love the start of the school year, you know, September. And I think that's another time for people to kind of start new things, especially parents when the kids are going back or are you going back to college 
or young people, when you go back to school, that's the time when you get your new books, you've got all your pens and pencils, you're organised. Like a month in, I was all over the place and I hated it. But I love that. I love the initial. I love the, I love the month. Uh, so I love January. Um, and I think I'm getting to a point in my life where I can, I'm actually better at, I suppose people say setting intentions, but like making a plan, sticking to it. Um, and sort of like, definitely this year, I planned more in the run-up to January. But it's a good time to, it's a good goal. It's a good sort of starting point. So if you can, if you want to work towards something, I think sometimes people make the mistake of wanting to be out of something, a job, relationship, whatever, but they need to go now. If you can manage it so that you're doing a little bit of the new thing and holding on to the old thing until you're ready to jump, but you have yourself set up, that's um, that's the best way to do it. So give yourself six months, give yourself a year, but keep, it'll make it easier to do that job maybe that you don't want to do anymore if you're also working on the next thing. And uh, that's that's a, a thing that I, I've learned. It was when I, I wrote a play and when I did that, it wasn't like I could say to the kids and my wife, look, I'm, I'm going down to the shed, I'm going to live there for three months, I'm going to write a play. I had to do work and do it. Do you know what I mean? So that was... A, a learning curve for me. So I was like, okay, you can you can kind of work on two things at the same time and doing a passion thing can make the, you know, pay the bills thing a lot easier to, to handle and manage, you know. And we do tend to think everything has to be a drastic change. Mm. I'm never doing this again or this is not happening and it's all very big and lofty. And I think it's great to have big ambitions and goals, don't get me wrong, but those small little incremental steps sometimes we don't want to hear that. I mean, I'm sure even with your play, an hour here and there consistently ended up in a play rather than decamping down to the shed for three months. Yeah, it was the most fascinating thing for me because it happened in very small stages over two years. You know, it wasn't about writing it. It was about like talking to someone who might produce it or a, a theatre who might support it or, you know, and then sort of like writing a, you know, performing a, a work in progress. And then, you know, so it's all, and you don't, like, no one's going to turn around to you tomorrow and go, OK, yes, you're on the Abbey tonight, you know, um, and that'd be great if they did. But you've got what I mean is you've got loads of time. So don't sweat it either, because you will learn where it is and what it needs to be. And it applies to everything. Like, no, if you want to do something, no one's going to turn around to you. And go, All right, you're in Hollywood tomorrow shooting the new film. You know, you'll get there in stages. And that means that you'll be ready that when you do get to Hollywood you're prepared and you've done your work and you've spent two years working on whatever it is you're working on, you know. Love it. I hope Hollywood is still in my future. Of course. It was always, it was always on well, my I know you're tipping away. At, I know you're tipping away. And <laughs> um, 2024 for you then, you have qualified as a, a life coach. You're going to start moving more into that area. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've, I've got a qualification and I'm obviously with these things, I've, I'm working on another qualification uh, to go alongside it. But, yeah, coaching is something that I've thought about for a long time. Um, and I this year I'd started teaching and I really enjoyed that. I was teaching a podcasting course that I developed. So I really enjoyed that. And I realised I didn't like school because I wanted to be the teacher. So I love that. And it sort of developed into this thing where I started consulting with people or helping people or being a consultant for people on projects, be it PR, marketing or podcasting. And um, then I just sort of said, OK, well, let's um, let's go for the coaching thing. And I got I got a coaching qualification and the website is keithwalsh.org and you can book a coaching session. You can do something traditional like a Zoom call. You can you know, we can we can meet in, in my office 
uh, or we can do a walk and talk, you know. So I'm trying to find different ways for people to engage in uh, this kind of conversation without feeling awkward about it. So I think the walk and talk might be good. And it just means I can come to you, you can come to me, we'll go for a walk, we'll have a chat. And I'm, I suppose life coaches a bit can give people the ick, but it's literally just having the opportunity to talk to somebody about something you'd like to do. Um, and somebody that will listen to you and won't judge it or say, what? Will you stop? You have a great job there. Pension coming. You know, that doesn't mean a lot to people day to day, really. So it's just the opportunity to talk to somebody and flesh things out that won't be judgmental and might actually be able to give you a little bit of structure and some ideas to help you get to the next stage, you know. And tell me about this then with Connor Creighton, Sober Start. Did this start on a walk with the Dublin Boys Club? Yeah, so myself and Connor met on the Dublin Boys Club and that's basically a group of lads who meet up every now and then, whenever you want, whenever you're in the mood and we walk <laughs> and talk. And yeah, there's a couple of rules. So, you know, it's it's a walk, no booze allowed and also no banter. So everything, if you want to talk, you don't have to. But if you do want to talk, it has to come from like the I. So, you know, I am and, uh, you know, rather than just saying, oh, did you see the match of the weekend? So Is it's it hard to do no banter? You know, not to just go there or slag and laugh, because that's kind of what we are as Irish people. And it might start that way and it should go deeper. Is it hard to cut it out altogether? Yeah, it's very interesting to see how difficult it is. And also when when some new people come along, they might not talk at all for the first walk. They might not talk at all for the second walk. And then the third walk, they'll sidle up to you and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm John. And uh, you know, how are you? You know, and, you know, so it, it, it can take people time, but there's people that want to be there and want to talk and just... And it's, there's no pressure. You can just come for the walk. And it's not like you can't, you know, we'd have a coffee and, you know, we, we crack. sometimes we stop and have sandwiches and you can share your food. And that's sort of, you know, that's conversation as well. But it's just the community knowing you've somewhere to go. And especially like if you're giving up booze or a dry January, you kind of want to have something to do at the weekend, something to look forward to. That isn't that is going to take the sting out of sitting in and on a or sitting out, uh, sitting it out and not going out on a Friday or Saturday night, you know. Because you have an alternative to dry January because that can sound quite negative. It's like you were saying earlier about the New Year's resolutions. I think mindset is really important. If it sounds like it's going to be dark, desolated, punishing, restrictive, you're less likely to continue it. You think there should be a bit of flexibility in it? Yeah, like, I mean, the word dry is, is a terrible word, isn't it? You know, it's it, it means, you know, humourless or no fun. Um, and January is a terrible time to give up booze. You know, if you drink and you like a drink and you have a few at the weekends, don't give up in January because it'll give you a terrible view of what a sober life is like. But also, we, with Sober Start, we're not like, like it's not a cult, it's not a religion, there's no real rules. There's, it's just a community where you can so take as much as you want from it to help you do whatever you need to do. And when we say Sober Start, we just mean starting the year with a clear head. So you're trying to be as sober or clear-headed as you can to put in place the things that you want to do for the year ahead. And that might just be, okay, well, how much am I putting aside every week to go on that holiday I meant to do last year that I didn't get around to because, you know, I kind of went out every weekend, which is great. Um, but, you know, you do a year of that or two years of that at a certain age and then you're like, oh, I don't want to do that again. I actually want to do the holiday and I missed out on it because of those weekends. And you fall into the trap of, kind of life happening to you and you not making any decisions. Um, and that can be really disconcerting and it, it can give people a lot of anxiety. So January, February um, and sober start, that idea is just to start the year with a clear head, write down 
sit down with a piece of paper and write down what it is you want to do. And as I said, it can be simple, it can be big, it can be small uh, and how you're going to do it. And then you're then you're kind of free to do whatever you want to do. But if you've set out your intentions, set out your goals, decide what you, what you want to do, the likelihood is you're not going to drink as much because you're going to be saying, well, no, I need that money for, I, that money is allocated. That isn't drinking money anymore. That's not going out money anymore. That's allocated from my trip to Peru or whatever, whatever it is, you know. Um, so that's the idea. And the community is there. And it's it's going to be an always-on community. So Sober Start, we're starting it in January. But it's there for anybody to start their year in February, in March, in April. So if, if the year gets away from you, it's not, you know, people see the calendar and they're like, oh, that's 2024 gone, ruined. You know, but you can start a new year in July, you know, um, and you decide. And that's what that's what controlling your life is about and not letting life happen to you or pass you by or any of that kind of stuff. It's just take a pause, stop. Uh, and then that's what Sober starts about. And it's a community already, like we've only started, we've only got small numbers there. But we've already seen people... Uh, are starting to talk to each other, arrange meetups, you know, arrange a, a walk. They're sharing, like, if, if Gal's gone wild or the Blue Balls lads are doing a swim or the Dublin Boys Club or whatever it is, if anything's happening, that's put up there on the Discord. We have this Discord and there's lots of different channels. Connor puts up a meditation every morning or a task or an intention so people can do that or not do that, whatever they feel like it. It's there. We had a chat last night uh, as a as a group, as a community, and we just chatted about um, our uh, non-negotiables for 2024. So uh, that was very, very interesting, you know, like, so people were saying, oh, boundaries, I want to, you know, have clear boundaries within my relationships, uh, things like that. So so there's lots of stuff to think about. And actually just being there and hearing other people talk, and even if you're quiet in the background, um, you'll pick up a few ideas and you go, okay, I didn't really know that was a thing. That's interesting. I like that, you know. And then there'll be sort of yoga, there'll be talks with influential people, uh, people who have given up booze and sort of gone on to do, um, just gone on to, to, to live life, you know. It just, they don't have to be a, extraordinary, but because everybody's extraordinary, Claire, let's be honest. Yes, yes, yes. We're all extraordinary. And I like that you said, um, I, I was reading up on it, you know, if you have a wedding coming up and you want to go and have a few drinks, have a few drinks and come back. You know, yeah. if there's an occasion, it's this sort of idea of flexibility. You don't have to sign your soul away. But I, I think what people will find is how they feel is what's important and that might be something they want to come back to. Sober Curious is something that's yeah. spoken about a lot now. What's your relationship with, with alcohol? Um, I haven't had a drink in four years, I think. Uh, I know most people know to the day or to the hour I think it was 2019, so I don't, maybe four years. Um, I just stopped drinking. And I think sometimes people look at how do I give up drink? And that's not really the way to go about it. The thing I say to friends who ask me about giving up drink is I, I say, well, ask yourself why. Like, what's the why? Why do you drink? What are the occasions? Who are you with? And what triggers it? You know, what, what makes you think, oh, I'm having a drink tonight? So, like, in a weird way, I, dis it's not, I discovered that I didn't like being in, the, in pubs. But I drank to be in pubs rather than just not going to pubs, it, you know. So it's almost like there's occasions where you're drinking to get through the occasion. There's places people you might visit and you have to have a drink when you're visiting them. So why is that? What's that? What's that? What's going on there? Maybe you don't like going there and that's your, you know, the thing that gets you through. But it was when I started therapy and I, I did a year of therapy and I just stopped drinking. I didn't go to therapy to stop drinking. 
But whatever happened to me and inside my head going to therapy, I didn't need that say, medicine anymore. I just, you know, my wife offered me a glass of wine one Friday and I said, actually, I don't want it because I knew that I knew how I'd feel afterwards. I knew how I'd feel after two or three drinks, you know, great. But I knew that I felt great. And, you know, I didn't I didn't need that anymore. So I dealt with other stuff and that allowed me to, to knock the booze on the head. So it, don't focus on the giving up of the booze. Focus on yourself and the booze might just drop away. Because I think for a lot of people, it's to let the hair down. The mm. wheels come off, have a few drinks, let a bit of steam off after a busy week and connecting with friends in that way um, and have losing a few inhibitions along the way can be a positive thing. But I think with the community element that you're bringing together, you're showing people there are other ways for us to manage stress. There are other ways for us to come together and have the crack. And if there are negative parts to alcohol that you want to take away, mm. this is might be a good way to give it a give it a go. Give it a go. And also I discovered that no, I'm not really I drank to have the crack, but then I discovered, well, I'm not really a get up and dance and headbang kind of person. I'm more relaxed and I enjoy it, you know, from a seated position, you know? But I enjoy people and I enjoy communities and I enjoy talking to people and and that's what I like, you know, so you maybe you don't want to let the hair down and maybe you don't have to go mad, you know, uh, maybe your your personality just isn't that. So, yeah, just have a think about that as well, you know. So where can people find out more? They can literally follow myself or Connor on Instagram and there it's it, the link is in the bio, as they said, uh, for on Connor's Insta, on my Insta. Um, just click on it. You know, it's not a it's not a big ad. Just click on the link and join and and you're in there and we're, and we're there all we're there for however long you need us. Um, were you in early enough to Instagram to get at Keith Walsh? Yeah, I think I'm at Keith Walsh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I changed, I think there was an opportunity to change it at some point. So it's Keith Walsh or Connor Cretton and you'll find us. Uh, the other Keith Walsh is a solicitor. He's not doing, he's not the sober start guy. <laughs> <laughs> Might be worth having on your uh, roller deck anyway. Yeah. Keith Walsh, the sober start guy. Thank you so much for coming on. I wish you a brilliant 2024. Thanks, Claire. Happy, happy new year to you. So that's it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aidan McKelvey, who is back. Hugo De Silva Scott, who is on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.